strange future, a 23rd century guide for the 21st century cynic by Josh Smith. With me, Carl Friedman, as your narrator. Thomas fortunately was right, which was delightful given that he was feeling slightly stressed about everything already. Were the room in fact bizarre, he probably would have snapped. It was instead surprisingly ordinary and looked rather like the typical hotel room of the 21st century. The only things that were missing were windows and a television set. This was disappointing as Thomas had hoped to catch a glimpse of the outside world before they got a formal tour. Things were apparently designed to prevent the three from finding out anything too early that may shock them, which was, Thomas reasoned, a very good thing. He was at least familiar with the lab, and now would have time to get familiar with their new companions before they set out to see the world. Thomas put his bags onto the large king-sized bed and walked into the bathroom. Again, very ordinary, aside from the fact that the shower and tub seemed to be comically large. Thomas mused that it was spacious enough to fit two or three people comfortably. He wondered why this was, but then made the connection back to Darren, who would probably find it normally sized. Was this built to accommodate him? Or worse yet, was everyone in the future bigger than the people of the 21st century? No, no, that wouldn't make sense, Thomas said aloud to himself. He put the thought of it out of his mind and went to pick out the clothes that he would wear that day. After a nice long shower, he got dressed and walked back to the bedroom. He looked at the clock and found that he still had 15 minutes to kill before he had to meet them back in the lab. It was then that he noticed a large manila-colored envelope and a piece of paper on the nightstand next to his bed. Oh. He walked over to see what it was. The paper looked to be a small note folded over one time. The envelope was plain-looking and simply said Thomas on the outside in cursive handwriting. He picked up the note and a key fell out as it unfolded. The key to his condo. Could the condo really still be there? He bent over and picked up the key and quickly read the note. Written on the paper was this. Thomas. Sorry, but they knocked down the building where your condo was in 2053 to make room for a new skyscraper. Here's your key, in case you want it for sentimental reasons. Karen, lab employee. Oh, well, I should have expected that would happen. He looked at the key, wondering if there was any reason to keep it. He couldn't find one, so tried to find a reason to throw it out. After not finding one of those either, he just stuck it in his pocket and decided to deal with it later. Thomas now turned his attention to the other, larger envelope on the nightstand. He squeezed the metal tongs together and broke the seal of the envelope, opening it slowly and methodically. Inside, there was a single piece of paper. Thomas pulled it out and looked at it. It was a letter signed by Frank and Flo. Dear Thomas, how exciting and yet so worrying it must be for you. You have taken the first huge leap of your journey in search of sanity, peace, and enlightenment, and you've made it safe and sound. On the other hand, you have no idea what awaits you on the outside. In all honesty, neither do we. The possibilities are endless, but there is one thing that we are sure of. No matter what awaits you, if you all stick together, you will be able to overcome any obstacles or challenges along the way. 
Flo and I haven't much more time left in our lives, but we've already trained our successors. The new head of the lab will be a lovely young woman named Karen Powers. We began working with her shortly after you were frozen and have the utmost confidence in her. We're sure she will care for things diligently and train successors to ensure everything will go smoothly when you are revived. Speaking of the two individuals who will be there to serve as your aides when you're awakened, I urge you to trust them implicitly. I am sure what you will see and experience may be difficult to understand, but rest assured that the aides, whoever they may be, were hand-selected to guide you through this new world. Regardless of what happens, your well-being will be one of their top concerns. On a more personal note, Thomas, even though we didn't get to spend a lot of time getting to know you, it's obvious to us that you are a very caring, considerate person. Please maintain those qualities. In all likelihood, it will be very useful to providing stability and balance to the group. Finally, I ask that you please care for Vera. I don't know if it will happen immediately, but I'm sure at some point my passing will sink in. Please be there for her when and if she needs it. We wish you all the best. Frank Thompson and Flo Wright, November 16, 2012. Thomas sat and reflected momentarily. It hadn't even occurred to him till then that Frank, Flo, and Irvin were gone. The letter was a nice touch. Thomas reread it again and then slipped it and the note from Karen back into the envelope and into a drawer in the nightstand. He wondered idly for a moment how Vera and Doug were doing. Surely they had received the letter as well, and theirs was likely longer given the long-standing relationship. Thomas sat and finally let his mind wander away from the thought of the letters. He looked around at the room, still amazed that it was this simple. He was honestly expecting more from the living quarters of the future. He mused about a special he had seen on TV showcasing all the gadgets that companies were coming up with now. The smart kitchen had been especially amusing, featuring a whole slew of internet-enabled appliances. The toaster would retrieve local forecasts and burn an image on the toast of a cloud, the sun, a snowflake, or whatever the case may be, depending on the weather for that day. The refrigerator was connected to the internet as well and would email you reminders when you needed to buy new milk or to remind you once again that the leftover Chinese food rotting in the back should probably be disposed of soon. There was even an electronic cookbook that was connected to a database of recipes on the internet, a virtually limitless collection of culinary information at your fingertips. It was, of course, all completely ridiculous and unnecessary. However, Thomas had truly believed that eventually all houses would be completely interconnected with smart appliances and other gadgets that kept everything running smoothly. His train of thought arrived back to reality. Here he was, 200 years after the invention of the internet-enabled weather forecasting toaster, and his room had only a bed, dresser, two nightstands, some lights, and a bathroom. Not even a TV. It was all rather disappointing. He glanced at the clock. Ten more minutes till they needed to meet up. Thomas decided to just go ahead and make his way down early. He walked out into the hallway, shut the door, and saw Vera coming out as well. Hey, perfect timing. How's your room? 
Oh, the room's fine, just fine, Vera said, clearly distracted. Thomas wondered if she had found the letter, but felt uncomfortable asking about it, so left the matter alone. She breathed deeply, gathering her thoughts. There was nothing special about the room, really, except for the awesome shower. Yeah, I thought that was nice, too. So how are you feeling about all this? I'm okay now. I was really freaking out at first, especially after seeing that robot, but the shower helped me to unwind. Once I get to know these two a little better, I think I'll be fine and ready to see what the future has to offer. They rounded the corner and went down the stairs to the foyer. I'm pretty much in the same boat. I was trying to figure out what to make of these two. I mean, it's weird, you know. The girl has such a... Thomas looked behind them and down to the foyer to make sure their new companions weren't around. She has such a weird fashion sense, though I'm betting that's normal or something now. And the guy looks like he should be off playing some sort of professional sport, not working here in a lab. But I guess we'll find out more later. Uh-huh. Vera muttered her mind elsewhere. They entered the foyer and turned down the stairs that led to the basement. Doug was already there, sitting cross-legged on the floor. He raised his head and looked up to see them coming. Hey, feeling better? Vera and Thomas joined him on the floor, creating a small circle, and Vera repeated the same spiel that she told Thomas. Oh, definitely. That Lila seems pretty normal, aside from her hair. That Darren guy is huge. I hope that's not normal or anything. Doug paused momentarily, his ego somewhat worried about this point. But the technology is going to be so cool. He exclaimed, quickly leaving his ego behind and getting back to his nerdy roots. That helper robot thing was extremely impressive, and I can't wait to see what else is out there. I was a bit disappointed it's basically just a toy rather than a software robot, but hey, you have to start with something. And did you see the thing? It was floating for crying out loud. They continued talking about this for quite some time, guessing about what else they may encounter. Soon, however, Darren and Lila came back down the stairs, Toby following shortly after. They joined them on the floor, changing the small circle to a nice oval. So, what do you want to know about us? The three looked at each other, unsure which of them should be the one to say it. Thomas finally decided to get it over with. Yeah, well, I guess the thing I want to ask is... Thomas didn't know how to word it tactfully, so decided to be blunt instead. Well, thing is, you're really big, so I'm wondering if... For some crazy reason, everyone else is big, too. Darren gaped, turned to look towards Lila, then shrugged, then turned back to them. Uh, well, no, not everyone in the future is big or anything. He paused, seeming to search his knowledge of the past to try to see what they could possibly mean. You didn't have football in 2008? What? Well, of course we did, Thomas said, failing to see how this connected to the question. Oh, well then, I'm a football player, or at least I was, so that's why. But that doesn't explain it. Most football players aren't as tall or even as strong as you. Or at least they weren't in our time. Darren seemed puzzled by this, and Lila was clearly thinking deeply about it as well. Suddenly, she made the connection. Oh, I know, Darren. They didn't have the lottery or the regulations on players back then. See, now they pick all professional football players before they're born, using a lottery system. Then the lottery winners are genetically altered so that they can reach a certain standard before they can join the WFA. Wait, WFA? World Football Association. 
hold on. You're telling me that they pick people to join football teams before they're born and then genetically alter them to make them better players? Yeah. Why? You don't see the problem here? Don't you get it? Doing this completely destroys the concept of natural talent. If you purposely alter people to make them better, then there's no hope for people who actually worked hard and developed talent in a sport. It's just not fair. It's not right. Now, hold on a second here. It's not just football. Every sport does it now. <laughs> so what? It still doesn't make it right. Okay, chill. Darren, we clearly don't know much about how things were in their time. Let's just try and figure out why we're failing to communicate. Darren and Doug seemed to accept this, sat back, and relaxed. Doug, athletes in your time weren't genetically altered? <laughs> no, no one was genetically altered. Lila seemed surprised by this. They didn't even have the technology to do such a thing. I mean, yeah, we were decoding the human genome, but they hadn't figured it all out yet. They certainly didn't have the ability to change someone's genes before they were born. Really? People were just allowed to have kids of their own free will? What do you mean? How could that be controlled? It's nature. It could happen any time, planned or not. Maybe it could in your time, but it doesn't work that way. You have to apply and be approved by the government before you can have a kid. There's a form you fill out, and you have to prove that you would be able to adequately care for the child. If there's any history of you not taking proper care of kids, you can't have any more. Didn't they have anything like that in your time? There was child protective services and all that, but you can't stop people from having kids. She said, still unsure how there could be any confusion about this matter. Oh, they didn't fix people back then? What? <laughs> fix people? The government fixes people like animals? What is the government thinking? What are the citizens thinking? How can they accept something like that? Well, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone is fixed so that there's no accidental or unwanted pregnancies. If a couple wants to have a kid, they just have to fill out the proper forms. After they're approved, they can go to the nearest genetic clinic and design their child. Design? She asked, still not getting it. Doug groaned, understanding it all too well. Holy cow, I don't believe it. Yeah. The couple gets the approval and goes down to the genetic clinic and a sample of their DNA is taken. Then they choose the gender of the child and a computer-generated projection of what the adult would look like is shown. The couple can then have the computer remix the DNA until they get a result that they're happy with. Next, the resultant child's DNA is scanned for any known genetic diseases and those are eliminated. Finally, they are given a set number of points that they can use to make changes about the child's appearance or give the child a predisposition to having a talent in a certain area or make them more intelligent. You name it and you can more than likely do it. Most parents, though, tend to just stick with cosmetic changes. Each change costs a certain number of points, though, so the parents can't design their child to be extreme in every way as their number of points is limited. And that's where the lottery comes into play. Once the application is accepted, the granted permit is good for a period of one year. The parents can then submit their name to one of the lotteries and hope that they get picked. Once a year, the lotteries take place. There are all kinds of lotteries, and not just for sports. The fashion industry, actors and actresses, groups of scientists, even some forms of intense manual labor have special lotteries that give the parents extra points to use to help them design their child to meet the minimum requirements for that field. If they win that lottery, of course, that means they're committing their child to that career path 
So some people won't do it because of the fact that it doesn't let their child decide. But most people will at least enter, even though chances of winning are slim. So your parents actually won for you to be a football player? Yeah, so they took the extra points they got and used it to make me taller, give a boost to my metabolism, and make it easier for me to gain and keep muscle. He replied, matter of fact, as if it was the most normal thing in the world, which, of course, it was. So you played professional football and then stopped? Doug was still trying to calculate why he used to play football, since he still appeared very young and he couldn't imagine him being retired already. Actually, I never played professional football. Huh? I thought you said that you had been committed to that career path since your parents won. How'd you get out of it? I didn't get out of it. I never got into it. I trained and played all through high school and college, but during my last year of college, the commissioner of football announced that the minimum requirements for the league would be changing, and so I no longer met those requirements. They didn't have a grandfather clause that would let you get in anyhow? Nope, and there are only two people other than me who were affected, so we weren't permitted to appeal. My parents made a few mistakes when designing me. See, the WFA gives a list of minimum and recommended requirements for future players. So my parents made me taller than the bare minimum requirement, which was at that time 6'8", but only by a little bit. I'm 6'10", and the new minimum height for the game is 7 feet. Most parents who were designing their kids to play football stuck them between 7 to 7.5 seven feet, so the large majority of the prospective players were fine. My parents, on the other hand, decided to make me just above the minimum and use the remaining points to make me more intelligent and do some other tweaks they thought were important. I'm not particularly angry about it or anything. It was just slightly disappointing. But anyhow, suddenly I didn't have a career, so I ended up finishing school and getting a job here. Wow. Why would they even make a minimum height requirement anyhow? Football doesn't need that. Well, as with any sport, the most extreme players always get the most attention. With basketball, for example, the media and fans would always buzz around the new center and how tall he was, and ratings would go up along with ticket sales. With football, it's usually about the biggest player or the guy with the most stamina. Having height is beneficial for stride and makes it easier to take someone down since you have more weight on your side. With this all being established right in the person's DNA, the body grows and accommodates the size properly. And yeah, basketball can get ridiculous. Most players are far beyond 7 feet. Centers usually are around 9 now. They had to raise the hoop so that it's at 12 feet now instead of 10. Sports have always been about extremes. Players, injuries, the game in, in itself. It's all extreme. Chances are it's likely to continue that way. That's the reason, though, that a lot of things are made bigger now to accommodate more of the extremes that are becoming more commonly seen, though certainly not normal for the large majority of the population. Doug just gaped, wanted greatly to rant about how wrong it all was, but decided to just leave it all alone. Vera didn't really care about the ethical dilemmas of altering athletes or movie stars. She still couldn't believe that the government actually fixed human beings to prevent them from having kids of their own free will. This was one area she felt no one, especially the government, should be permitted to meddle with. Thomas still just wanted to know more. I could see why this would be useful, especially in preventing genetic diseases. But doesn't this system just discourage people from having kids by making it harder for them to do it when they want to? No, quite the opposite. It's just like the traditional financial lottery. Everyone wants to have as many kids as possible now in the hopes that one of their kids will be picked for one of the lotteries they choose to enter. Oh no, how many people are there living on Earth now? Well, we just broke 20 billion recently. 
She smiled as if it was something to be proud of. That's horrible. I can't even begin to imagine what the environment out there is like now with that many humans polluting and destroying the earth. Hey, chill. She was getting fed up with these three already. I remember how much of an issue that was in your time period from history class. But just relax. We took care of it. How can you just take care of it? Let's just relax and not worry about the environment right now. You wanted to get to know us better, so that's what we need to do. You'll learn and understand more about the outside world later. So you know my story now, mostly anyhow. The only other useful information is that I'm single. He winked at Vera. She was floored. I'm sorry, I don't date genetically modified men I've just met. Darren turned bright red but controlled himself. Vera turned to Lila. So what's with the hair? Thomas and Doug were fascinated by this side of Vera that they had never seen before. Thomas decided that he liked it. I was tired of being blonde, so I altered my hair color to pink. I thought it would be fun and different. Lila stroked her hair as she said this, showing it off. So how old are you now, then? What's your story? I'm 33. I grew up and went to school here in the city with plans to be a teacher. A history teacher, actually. But I got out of that pretty quickly after I realized it just wasn't for me. I couldn't handle the kids. I'm sorry. She said, acting much more like her normal self. I can understand that, though. The kids from our time were pretty rough, and they must be worse now. At least you were able to get a job here, though. Plus, it's good for us to have someone with a strong background in history to tell us what's happened in the last 200 years. Yeah, this has been an interesting job, that's for sure. But pretty boring until the last month, while we made sure everything was prepared for you three to be revived. Of course, now that you have been revived, it's been especially fascinating. She stared coolly at Vera, still feeling a bit of anger. But we're going to have to work together at least. So let's just try to get along. It'll be tough because we obviously have such differences in our beliefs and what's normal to us. But I think we'll be okay. Let's say we order pizza and just have a casual chat, huh? They all agreed and were soon enjoying a pie just as good after 200 years. Who was Karen Palos, and is she at all significant? What will Thomas do with the key to his old condo? What will they find when they go exploring for the first time in the next episode, a fact that hasn't been revealed just yet? Tune in to the next exciting episode of Strange Future to find out. In that episode of Strange Future, Carl Friedman was the narrator, Dustin Smith was Thomas Gordon, Rachel Smith was Lila. Becky Cook was Vera. Ross Blavelt was Darren. Josh Smith was Doug. Emily Blavelt was Karen Pallows. <laughs>